Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast, where our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I will be your host today. Joining me today is John Laurie, who is just back from climbing K2, and Martin Zor, my fellow Uphill Athlete coach and our resident normal baric hypoxic training expert. So, John, I hope Martin, it's really great to have you both here. John, why don't you start us off by just sort of walking us through your summit day on K2 a couple months back? Yeah, thanks, Steve, uh, and and thanks very much for the opportunity to uh, to join this podcast. Um, so, look, the uh, yeah, I've sort of been back now for a month and. Um, and it uh, feels 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 quite surreal to be back, but uh, but I, I expedition was uh, a just a six week expedition, um, and really sort of uh, probably got really sort of kicked off in terms of the actual climbing uh, in the second week of July and. Uh, then with a with a summit uh, summit right towards the end of the month. Paint the picture for me, like the day that you left base camp, heading up for the summit attempt. Like, what was in your mind? What was what was going on with the weather? What was going on with with the whole expedition? Really, like, take take us there. What does it look like? What did you feel like? What were your thoughts? What were your emotions? Yeah, so we didn't have the best. Uh, most clear weather window ahead of us. Um, we could see in about four days there was one or possibly two days, but we knew that the preceding four days were going to be quite challenging from a weather point of view. We were effectively leaving base camp in a, you know, socked in conditions. Um, and I, you know, it was it, it was certainly not the, the inviting um, mountain that that we that that would have probably you know really given us a lot of the the energy to 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 really go for it. So you were feeling more like just kind of like oh we're going to go give it a try, but it doesn't look too good, and you weren't really that sort of pumped. Or is that what that's what I'm saying? I felt I felt like I, I felt ex- very um, strong and like I had you know I was really acclimatizing well to the altitude and the mountain, I was, you know, I was feeling like I, uh, up until that point, I'd, uh, I was very excited about the possibility of, of climbing without oxygen and or cl- and climbing K2 in general, um, but potentially trying to be very careful not to allow myself to get too excited and, and my expectations get too, you know, sort of get away from me to the point where, you know, it would have been a, a summit would have been the only only positive outcome uh, that would have made, you know, that would have would have left me satisfied. So it was almost like I was just trying to open myself up to the possibility that we may just be denied due to weather. Um, yeah. You know, just trying to, to keep focused, though, on obviously not letting anything silly happen in terms of, a you know, a 
rolled ankle or a little silly slip or anything like that in those sort of first couple of days heading up. Um, so, so look, I think, uh, you know, we did the, we did uh, base camp to camp one in a single day. Um, and then we went from camp on the ne- next day, we went from camp one to what we called Japanese camp three, um, which was sort of probably a third of the way between camp two and camp three. And that, you know, and, and, and through that whole period that, you know, the weather was, was, was quite, was quite challenging. You know, we were having quite a lot of, you know, there was, there was a lot of snow, um, the there was a lot of snow even just sort of falling off i mean people familiar with k2 would know that the route you know the abruzzi spur route is 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 more or less just straight up a sort of a, a, a the intersection of a of a of a rock um ridge and a, and, a, and a snow ramp and you're effectively vulnerable to both rockfall and sort of chunks of snow and ice and and we were probably fortunate in this year that there was not a great deal of uh rockfall hazard and that was due to the the sort of the ex the ex, you know additional snow the that had weather. fallen <laughs> yeah the exactly which had somehow in, you know in some ways had made it safer from the point of view of rockfall but had made it far more dangerous in terms of uh, avalanche and yeah. and so you know but so so you would find that you're constantly either watching slides to your right or dodging um, or, or at least fearful of, of, of chunks of snow coming down and, and, and hitting you. And, and these are chunks of snow from other climbers, like coming off of their crampons and, and tra- the trail breaking, the actions of trail breakers and that kind of thing. Typically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's been trying to be very vigilant and careful by that point. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. You're cl- yeah, exactly. Um, and so you go from camp, Japanese camp three and you go from there up to your high camp. That's right. So then we went from Japanese camp three to a lower, what we called a lower camp four. So again, we were yeah. the only group to sort of make, you know, uh, uh, elect to use a camp that's, uh, you know, not, not, not so, not, yeah, a bit different. Um, and then, so that was about 200 meters uh, vertically above camp three, where everybody else staged their summit push from, from camp three. Uh, so we were a little bit, you know, that, that probably gave us a, about two hours less climbing to do on the, on the summit day. Yeah. And so take me to the summit day now, like you, what time, what was, you know, how much time did you have before from arriving at that camp till, you know, sort of the alarm went off and it was time to start brewing up and getting ready to go? So we had got in on the 25th of July with an intention to, sorry, on the 20, uh, 25th of July, yep, um, and with an intention potentially to go for the 26th. Um, that was potentially meant, that was supposed to be the best summit window. It turned out not to be, it turned out not to be summitable at all. So we ended up spending a whole full day sitting uh, at that lower camp for which Personally, I was a bit nervous about because being without oxygen by now, everybody else is on oxygen around me. I was a bit worried that, as you know, you know, you, you're not really sleeping more than about 10, 15 minutes at a time. And so all that, that extra 
that extra time spent at, you know, that extra 24 hours really spent up at whatever 7,650 meters is really depleting your, uh, your energy levels. So I was a bit, I was a bit nervous about that. I don't think in reflection that that ha- I didn't really experience um, anything noticeable. Um, yeah, one one day was okay, but you can't spend like you can't. You're yeah, your your time is limited that you can spend at that at seven thousand six hundred plus and, and and feel okay to do anything other than just go down. So that 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 makes tons of sense. Yeah. So then, uh, then the next, the next, the, the night of the 26th, um, I set off at 10 PM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you say you set off, like what, tell me you're just by yourself. Like are the, the fix ropes are, are set to where, who are you with? Who's around you? What does that look like? So, um, I was with a Sherpa, um, who was with my expedition and he had been assigned to, to climb with me um, mm-hmm. for the summit push. So uh, we set off. There would have been, at that point, there was probably 30 people or so would have been ahead of us. Um, and But I could only see a few of them. Um, some people were quite a fair way ahead of us. Um, was it clear, cloudy, windy? It was a clear fairly clear at that point on the mountain um Mm. and it was not windy at all so that was really what we were looking that was what we were waiting for with the weather forecast um and it was in fact it was quite relatively speaking it was quite warm it was about minus 17 celsius which was which was great for me with the uh non-oxygen factor um as you know i was a bit I'd had a previous experience on Everest where even in big down mitts and liner gloves and everything, I'd still got a sort of, I would say, a, a minor level of, 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 frost, of frost injury. Um, so I was a bit nervous about now being without oxygen and what that might have meant for my ability just to keep my fingers warm. But minus 17 degrees was, was uh, certainly a lot warmer than, than the night I climbed uh, Summit of Everest. So, yeah, we basically just onto the fixed lines. Uh, they had been fixed up to uh, Camp 4 the day prior, and then the rope fixing team was now above Camp 4 set, fixing ropes to the summit. And in effect, there was a rope fixing team, and then behind them were a, a line of climbers, and they were all strung out uh, over you know, several hours. Mm-hmm. From there, really, we, you know, we moved, the two of us moved up to camp four. I was, tr- was trying to be very conscious of my effort level and trying to, you know, very aware that this was probably going to be a 20-hour affair from camp back to camp again. So appreciating that I needed to be very conservative with that energy. Um Got up to Camp Four. At Camp Four, the actual Camp Four, which as I said is not was not being used uh, this year, the terrain sort of flattens out, and then it becomes quite gradual up towards the bottleneck. And at that point, I really was feeling feeling very good. I was trying to be very vigilant with, um, you know, getting in sh- sugar and sort of small uh, 
carbohydrate type snacks. Um, that was again a, a and 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 sips of water here and there, which was a huge lesson learned from my previous experience on on Everest. What what tasted good? What tasted what went down? So I was using these uh, uh, like shot block kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I, I, I've had. I find the bars at altitude in the cold just are too much work to be able to to warm them up or to soften them up to be able to to, to chew them digest them um and then i find gels just get too messy so uh the shot blocks for me are sort of halfway between they're they're, they're tight you can use them you know you can um you can use your gloves and they're still got they're still very rich in uh in carbohydrates so and and you know i just found a flavor of those and and was able to buy um little 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 bags that um, uh, I could sort of just tear open one every hour or so. Yeah, that's good that you were able to get some calories in, though. That's often one of the big challenges of people to skip behind on their nutrition on a day like that. So that's a, that's a good lesson right there, like just how you were able to, to keep that up. And how were you drinking? Were you, you said you were able to get frequent sips of, of water. How was that? Was that with the thermos or... So I had two half liter Nalgene's, which I had in my sort of breast pocket inside my down suit. So the down suits have a, you know, they've, they've all all seemed to have a nice um, little pocket on the inside uh, that, that fits a half liter Nalgene. And the advantage of that, of course, being that your 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 body's keeping it from freezing, and then the right. uh, it's 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 accessible without having to take your pack off because as soon as as soon as you have to start taking your pack off and taking your gloves off, uh, you just you're you're a lot less less likely to 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 drink and absolutely. Yeah. Whereas when I just knew that I just would could stop, unzip you know my my down suit, few inches, pull out this bottle and and, and have a sip and be back moving again within a minute. That yep. that really um, incentivized me. Uh, let's say to 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 drink probably more rather than than less um which which helps and question on the pacing how did that work for you with regards to the pacing that you needed as someone who was climbing without supplemental oxygen versus the climbers around you were all using bottled oxygen was that a was there a conflict there because my experience with you know climbing without supplemental oxygen is you're you're more start and stop you've got to catch your breath or did was this not a factor yet at this altitude and at this incline because you were still kind of down in the balcony where it's not so steep or how did that work out? Yeah, right. So I was probably, we were so strung out at that early stage of the night that I wasn't really surrounded by people, but but um, I, I could see that people on oxygen were typically going about the same speed as me or a little bit faster. There was There was a couple of people who passed me um, but I would say that I wasn't a lot slower and I didn't feel like I need to, needed to go any slower at that altitude. That all, that all changed once we got above the traverse and, and, and in the last couple of hours. But certainly at this point in the, in the first, say three, four hours of, of the summit night, I was, I felt like I was moving with a fairly low perceived exertion and, and still keeping pretty good pace with the people around me. I had told myself, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd prepared myself to not let the ego get in the way and let, let, let people go and let, 
you know, don't don't be concerned with other people's pace. And I, I did do that, but I f- was probably a bit pleasantly surprised that my pace wasn't as slow as relative to to people on oxygen um, as I as I might have expected it would. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So then, what you know, you're you walk us through the next step. The the bottleneck is obviously often talked about when people talk about the summoning K2 from the Abruzzi. Was there a lot of, did you have a lot of dread about it? Was it looking intimidating? That big Serac looking scary? Um, People had not been through there yet this year, obviously. What was going through your mind? So I think I was trying not to, I'd had months and perhaps even years to visualize this um this moment and so i think i'd seen enough photos of it that it didn't it didn't look any different let's say to how i was expecting it obviously it's still it still is intimidating it's still something you wouldn't a feature you wouldn't normally climb uh underneath um at least in my own experience and so i think you know i we really just we really just moved In some ways, I could probably say I was I was actually looking forward to experiencing such a iconic piece of terrain in the you know in the world of mountaineering, and 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 I think I was I was excited about that. Um, And we we you know we we started moving up, and it, it just it's it's an interesting one because it sort of goes from very gradual steepness and just it's really just like a a, a a concave kind of slope that just slowly ramps up and up and up until you're you're, you're at a quite steep section when it when it turns left onto the traverse um and at that point there were a few sort of you'd say slides um that were coming down some, some there was a, there were some slides that were coming down directly directly down through the uh the bottleneck so they were effectively just flowing past your ankles flowing past your knees um they were they were a little bit intimidating but to be honest they were not the first you know similar sort of slides on the mountain that we'd experienced in that you know in the preceding few weeks so um but certainly nothing that would have knocked you off your feet or, or anything like that i think when i got sort of probably most of the, you know, say I would say well past halfway up the bottleneck, so where the terrain had got quite, you know, it got quite steep, there was quite a significant slide that came off the sort of rock buttress across to the left, and I'd never experienced any, I'd never seen anything that big, that quite that close, and you could even hear people letting out you know, all sorts of screams and just, just, just at the sort of their, as their reaction to seeing this amount of this volume of snow coming barreling off these cliffs. Um, I would say I was fortunate in, at that point, I was already quite high on the bottleneck and it flowed down to my left, but it did then I could turn around and I could see that it had flowed down onto uh, the trail where we had sort of been an hour or so before. so suspected at that point that some people were uh had you know had basically been were up to their knees as knees or waist and and i think that was probably what 
led to a number of people that were behind us turn, making a decision to turn around. It was certainly would have been very intimidating from where they, they were standing. And then at that point, really, we, we stopped the, the, the line. Um, it's, it's notoriously a congestion point. I guess perhaps that's why they call it the bottleneck. And, and, uh, and I was expecting that we were going to be moving very slowly or stopped for periods of time there. And so wait, this, just for the audience that isn't familiar, can you just the, the bottlenecks at what altitude, what is, what does it look like? What are the, what is the weather around you? What do you, what is, what are you taking in from your senses? Like just paint, paint a visual picture for us of, of where you are and what you're feeling. Yes. I would like to ask also, was this past sunrise or was it still dark or could you actually see what's coming at you, the, the avalanches and stuff? So this was at about, I th- would say about 2, 2 a.m., 2 or 3 a.m., so no, well before sunrise. Um, but the moonlight and obviously your eyes have adjusted and, and whatnot, so got had, had quite a – and we, we had a clear enough night that – you could certainly see the avalanches across to your left. You could see the line of torches, uh, headlights uh, ahead, and and you could see the, the the hanging serac and make out where where the route was sort of going to progress uh, across the uh, across the traverse. Um, as you move up the bottleneck, it probably the angle probably, and I'm guessing here probably reaches 55, maybe 60 degrees. Um, and keeping in mind as well that you you know you're probably at this point at about eight thousand four hundred meters eight thousand three hundred meters and that's that's just a guess but that's probably probably about what I would imagine maybe yeah um, and you know it's I think I think it's uh, it, 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 I've, I, it's not the first time I've climbed through the night at altitude and and, I, and I'm and I'm quite glad I had had similar experiences before because the nights do feel quite long and all you really want is for the sun to come up and to feel warm again and to feel your your mind you know your your, your brain to start sending all those chemicals around that make you feel awake and happy and all of that sort of thing again because the night can drag on a bit um when you're when you're cold and especially and and, and at that altitude in such a sort of foreign environment um, and then, you know, of course, the, the the line stops, and there's now a lot of, you know, th- even more sort of concern kind of creeps in. You know, you're like, why why are we stopped? How long are we going to be stopped for? You know, my my toes are getting cold. I, you know, I'd I'd experienced colder temperatures, but now it was cold and not moving for an unknown amount of time and so so that certainly certainly leads you to to and there's no one you can talk to you know it's not like you can yell ahead you know can some you know what's the what's why how long are we waiting for or what's going on or i mean everyone's got masks on everyone's focused you know is in their little world and um it's a it is a surreal experience and and anyone perhaps who's been to above 8000 meters on these mountains you 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 really do feel although you, there's there are people around you do feel quite alone you don't have that you can't see people's faces you can't um 
you, you don't you can't certainly can't see look at people in the eye or anything like that and you, you do you do typically feel like uh yeah you do feel quite alone um i think that that's a really good observation john and also i think that it's something that i often like to point out when i have these conversations with people is if you haven't been above eight thousand meters yourself it's really hard to understand what it's actually like like it is really it really is a I, I'd say just a strange experience for lack of a better adjective. It's just, you feel like you're on the moon or something, right? Like, it's just, you're just in another, like another world, literally, it's, you know, you're, it's, it's really hard to breathe. It's really hard to stay warm. You're probably swinging your arms, swinging your legs. You're probably trying to eat and do something with the time. Um, you're probably looking at your clock. You're looking at the skyline, wondering if it's starting to get light out there in the east yet. You're looking off, you know, at the slope above you, seeing if there's, like, wind picking up, you know, because that could turn you around. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on just in terms of, you know, your your animal instinct of survival right and uh that's pretty pretty all all you know at least for me that's always been pretty all consuming at that at that kind of altitude so i think that that's worth worth kind of pointing out that you know everybody like you said everybody's in their own world and their own world is like you know survival yeah absolutely and i mean on another aspect for me was going sort of being the being the only one uh at least around in the area i was without oxygen you felt like you were you couldn't you couldn't necessarily sort of look at other people and say well we're in this together i felt i felt like i was sort of potentially could suddenly you know i could be experiencing this in a differently to people around me and you know it was almost like there was no one I could sort of say, oh, well, you know, we're in this, we're in this together. Um, and I think one of the concerns that I definitely had was having not been to that altitude without oxygen before was, you know, was I going to s become cerebral or was I going to suddenly have one of these awful altitude related um, illnesses uh, that, you know, and, and would I know if it was going to, would I, would I, would I recognize the signs? Would I, would I see it coming? Um, and so I think probably a, something that was occupying a lot of my mind, certainly for the second half of the summit night was, you know, I, I would be trying to list off famous people's names, you know, or, 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 or play little games in my head just to try to sort of almost reassure myself that my, my mind was still working and that I was still able to sort of um yeah you're checking in on yourself you know a little bit yeah yeah and 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 that was quite quite reassuring because i think i felt i was expecting to feel a lot more a lot more sort of brain fog or a lot uh, uh, that i would have got a lot more sort of sluggish in my thoughts um uh, as the mount as i climbed and i was expecting that and i was going to you know i was going to be okay with a a, a, a level of that but I was happy that I could still, I still felt like I was, uh, still felt like I was very aware of what I was doing and very, very capable of, of doing, you know, thinking certain thoughts and, as I said, listing 
famous people's names that I that I you know might be able to that I would do at sea level. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that 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 helped that helped me a lot. I, I to feel confident that although I couldn't look at somebody else around me and say, "Oh well, he's okay, I'm okay, we're in this together," I could I could say to myself, "Well, I'm still able to do this. I'm still my mind still feels active and and healthy and everything." So I'm going to keep going. Yeah, and I can, you know, also add to that from my own experiences, like being up uh, above 8,000 meters with another person. And even without all of this, you know, not being on a, in a, on a fixed line or, you know, and, and not having masks and so on, you're still not talking to one another. Like talking takes breath and it's just like that's far too precious. So there's more like hand signals and looks are the way you, and those only work with people you know really intimately well. So, I can I can understand how uh, you must be really isolated up there. So to bring us back to the spot, you know, the time where you're you're stopped, you've been stopped for now I don't know half hour, forty five minutes. Um, you know, you're how long were you stopped before you started moving again, and what happened next? So I think I think it was about ninety minutes. Oh wow, one and a half hours. That's a big time. Which felt I mean, it felt like. 12 hours it felt much Mm. much longer than that and I was as I said felt quite concerned that my toes were 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 very cold and I was doing a lot of stomping of my feet and 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 kicking of my feet to try to keep that blood there I I luckily had sized up my boots quite probably bigger than they needed to be which I probably paid the price on lower on the mountain with sort of the, the agility on crampons um but at that point on the when when we were stationary and i was getting very cold toes i was i was i was really able to to clench my toes and keep clenching them and releasing them and clenching them and release and i could you know pull them right in and you know almost completely underneath themselves and that range of motion that i could get with my toes i think was really was really helpful um, and, 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 and as I said, I was grateful that I was, was probably a, a size or two above what, uh, what I, sh- what I would have preferred lower on the mountain. Um, but anyway, once we got going, um, I think at that point we were just starting to see a bit of light. Um, and that was off to our, off to our right side, um, then moved up onto the traverse and it was at that point that we that I saw the um, the fallen climber of of Muhammad, um, and I think there's obviously a lot of lot of confusion. We were, we were aware that there were bodies up high on K2, but I don't think anyone was expecting there was going to be a body in this position. Um, and we you know everyone was 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 climbing um unfortunately that involved stepping over muhammad when i got to him he was i mean he there was there was somebody there with him um he had his his parker hood his down hood had been pulled over his face and and cinched around his neck um sort of in the way that you would for a you know, a, a deceased person, uh, sort of as a as a respectful uh, measure, uh, so that passing people don't see uh, don't see his face, um, and and so you know, like like everybody else, we you know we we 
we carried on uh, climbing and, and moved right the way through the traverse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about what, you know, whether or not this individual Muhammad had been there for like an hour or been there for a year at this point, I'm guessing you just like, it was kind of a surprise and it was just sort of unclear. Well, there was a person with him when I got there and they were, I, I, I didn't know. We didn't, I didn't, uh, that person certainly was, I can't even really recall what that person was doing. Um, but, they were sort of squatting next to next to him, and so it was apparent that this was an accident that had happened this night. Or actually, to be honest, it wasn't really apparent that there was an accident, or he just just uh, you know uh, suffered from some some sort of um, health issue or or what it was. Um, but certainly, the fact that he was you know he was lying motionless on the on the on the snow and had had his you know somebody had obviously put his whoever had been involved with the rescue or had been involved with as a first responder had had taken the step of 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 pulling his his parker jacket over his face which you know is is the for you know there was two other deceased bodies on the mountain this year and 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 they were from previous years and both of them had sort of similar measures taken um just to just to preserve a bit of uh the the integrity for the climber um and this is now at the on the traverse or it's past the traverse so that was on the traverse that was probably 10 20 meters into the the traverse itself um so yeah so that was that was certainly a very um very heavy uh moment i i don't yeah we uh, i it's one of those unfortunate things you don't know how you're going to react um you, we're all i guess everybody's aware on high on everest and 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 these mountains there are uh there are dead people and people who you know who died during the season that, that you're on and and i don't don't think I've never. I, I, I did. I did see some, you know, had similar sort of experiences on on Everest, and and I, you know, I was quite emotionally shaken. I would say at the, at that moment, then and and again in the, on this occasion as well. It's uh, it, it's it's certainly something I don't think you can you can quite prepare yourself for. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, it's. I think uh, since since you brought it up, and since it's part of the story, I think it is. You know, something that again is for people who have not been at these altitudes. It's really hard to understand because, as you say, you don't even know how you're gonna, you know, react uh, when you're at, at home, and then you know when you get there, the whole scenario is so different, and you're so just like barely kind of alive yourself that there's not um you know it, it's it's bound to surprise you what your reactions are and also i think that the other thing is people tend to judge these situations from the perspective of being at home in your living room and like oh yeah i would i don't know do something or, or whatever and you know that's 
that's nice to think about, but I honestly think that that's more about the people making the those judgments and statements and them comforting themselves that they're somehow good uh, and and uh, a judgment against and it comes off as a judgment against other people. But I would also say like you just you just don't know and like you know there is <laughs> there is so little you can do uh, for someone there like it's it's you know and you didn't even know if this had when this had happened and um yeah it's it's just a it's just a different a difference it's just a different world up there yeah look i'm i'm entirely confident that if we'd got to or anybody had got to muhammad and had felt that there was any chance of saving him i moving him would have been you know if if, if yeah you would have done so you would have been able to move that. you know if you've been able to move him across to the bottleneck and start lowering down the bottleneck people would have done it people there was there was numerous very strong people sherpas people on oxygen there was people uh that 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 were around that assessed the situation and and un- unfortunately it was it was an incredibly precarious position too uh, that he was in, and a, and a bit of a pulley system would have had to have been set up to be even able to move him across to the bottleneck. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's unfortunately not a lot more I can I can add other than than uh, yeah, and it definitely uh, as a part of this story, right? Like of this season, and you know, we could talk about this at, at at length i guess you know i just wanted to include it as it did happen and sort of i don't want to pass judgment but i do want to just sort of caution people about making judgments when they're at low altitude about what one may or may not be able to do when they're above eight thousand meters and presented with you know very um very difficult information that's very difficult to interpret and understand you know um maybe it's a i didn't plan on on going here but you know i've had experiences where you know one one particular experience where we were sort of called upon on makalu to try to uh rescue someone who had gone to the summit of makalu and and come back down to high camp and we got there and like we couldn't tell if they were alive or not. Like, it sounds funny. Right. But like, we really could not tell, like you couldn't, you know, you know, this is something that would never happen at home. And we're just like, well, just, you know, we, they weren't responding. We could, you know, it's, it's super, super cold. Uh, you can't like take a pulse. You can't like detect any respiration. Like you're trying to figure this out. Like you're yelling at them. Like, and this was, this person was in a tent, uh, right. Like on, on, at a camp and there was a bunch of people there and none of us knew what to do because we couldn't actually tell. Like eventually we determined the person was not, was deceased. And we, we, you know, we went on with our, 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 we went back down actually. And, and that person, as far as I know, remains there to this day, but you know, yeah, it's just, it is so hard. These are such hard situations. So, and I can only imagine how emotionally that would affect you, especially on the way up to the summit on your summit day. And, you know, so it's the line starts moving 
you you pass Muhammad and his 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 friend his, this person that's with him you everyone else is moving along you go up there what is the what is the summit day like how do you feel specifically like in terms of once you get back in the rhythm of the climbing how what's your body how is your body responding what's it like to breathe up there so yeah so so now getting to the end of the traverse the route kicks right and 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 and, and, and uphill um again uh, and at that point because of the amount of weight that that 90 minutes of waiting at the bottleneck mm, pretty much the sure. entire group now is is all in a almost like a conga line um there's about a hundred people there's about a hundred people um about 80 had turned around for, for various reasons lower you know around the bottleneck um and there was about a there's about a hundred of us moving moving along and at this point, as I said, you know, the when the sun's up now and the sun was, you know, now like we, the sun was actually over the horizon, it was, it, it, it really lifts you up. And, and I started to feel, probably, I probably actually wasn't, hadn't done quite enough homework, I would say, on, on what the route does above the, 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 the Serac. You know, I think, I think everyone gets so focused on the, the, the those sort of uh, iconic, features lower on the mountain and and i'd never really i didn't really know what was what was to come i i knew there was a snow ramp but i didn't really know much more than that and we were moving along and i was actually quite i i, I think if if we weren't in this sort of line i probably even without oxygen would have been moving quicker than 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 we were so that you know to put it another way the the line was moving slower than I feel like my non-oxygen, mm -hmm. non. Yeah, you're forced to go the pace of the slowest person at that point because everybody's just like in lockstep. There's no way to pass someone because you don't have the power to get out in the, the deep snow and go around, you know, one person, let alone a hundred. <laughs> That's right, and there is, um, there was the rope fixing team obviously right at the beginning, so you're at the mercy of the speed of the rope fixing team. But on top of that, there was at least one feature i don't know if it's got a name but it was it was like a, a a blue ice section where it pitched up a couple of meters and so everyone was obviously having to tackle that one at a time and that at that altitude is is, is quite challenging um sort of front pointing at eight thousand five hundred meters or something is uh is is certainly um quite quite challenging yeah the sun is warming up the snow and the snow is probably starting to you know slab up and avalanche off yeah but we were we were probably f i was feeling quite comfortable with the fact that we were at the rightmost point that we could have been effectively sort of against the sort of side of the of the serac um and we we felt like we were out of out of the uh the danger zone if you like there um and just really tried at that point to really stay focused because obviously we'd had this you know this a few you know these things lower down on the summit day which should which should um really taken a lot of focus and now i was really trying to bring myself back to recognizing that this is probably still quite a number of hours to the top and I needed to really try to find a rhythm i was obviously now starting to get fatigued been on the go now for sort of, I guess, six or seven hours and 
really just trying to find a rhythm with my breathing and with my with my steps uh, that would be sustainable. Um, and then I could, you know, hope to get the next, uh, whatever it turned out to be, six, seven hours done. Um, and I think really above uh, the, the, where the mountain, where the, there's a snow ramp and where that sort of reaches a saddle before the final two hours to the, to the peak, um, to the summit, at that saddle, that's where I was really feeling like I was now in a different, in a very different game to people around me because I would take, you know, I would take two steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my experience. It's about one to ten <laughs> if you're lucky, if you're moving well. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I tried to find a a system where I would I wouldn't stop and try to get my breathing down to a comfortable level because if I did that, my pro- progress up the mountain would have been too slow. What I tried to do was to take those two steps, then I would breathe until I could just, and usually there'd be a bit of a delay with my breathing rate coming up. So I'd take the two steps and then I'd stop and then a few couple of seconds later, suddenly my breathing rate would go right up. And then just when I started to notice it just starting to come down, I would move again. And I just found that it was, you know, it was forever uncomfortable, but it was manageable, um, and 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 really just 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 carried on like that. What was it like? Uh, yeah, tell me about that. Like, tell me about like those last meters to the to the summit. I mean, it's K two is more of a gradual summit. It's pretty roomy up there. Uh, how did that? Did you what? What were you feeling? What were you seeing? So at that point, unfortunately, there was quite a, quite a lot of cloud around. I wouldn't say it was socked into the point where it was probably three hundred meters visibility. So enough that you could you could see where you were going and where you'd come from. But unfortunately, we didn't get that iconic uh, view of all the peaks of the of the Karakoram below. Um, but stepped onto the top, and there was probably about maybe 15, 15 or 20 other people on the top. Um, I, I, I always find it interesting on the top of these summits, you don't feel, well, I don't feel a sense of elation because I feel like I, I genuinely feel a sense of it, the job's only half done. And I, that, is, that is a real cliche, but you really feel like I'm as, right now I'm as far from safety and everything as I as I possibly could be um, and I had experienced in the past that feeling of adrenaline flowing out of you at the summit and then suddenly feeling incredibly tired the moment you take a step down the mountain and I was aware that that was probably going to happen and it, and it definitely did um, but it being you know without oxygen I really recognized that I probably only had a few few minutes on the top and then I really needed to start start thinking about coming down I was probably about you know if there was if there was a hundred people who summited that day I was probably in the maybe around 60th or or something like that so there was quite a lot of people who'd already turned around and were already heading down Um, I really felt like I didn't have the luxury of spending 30 minutes on the top or anything like that Um, what time was it roughly it's 11 about 11 o'clock 
How did you how did you feel? You experienced some health issues. So when did you start feeling those the lungs and uh, the eye problem? Actually, I didn't feel I didn't feel those until I was back down at camp uh, at our camp four at our at our lower camp four. So obviously, I was breathing heavily the entire summit push, or the um, and it wasn't really until I got back to the tent that I started coughing and having you know unpleasant pieces of of lung and whatnot actually coming out um that i like when even just describing that to you to now i like i have almost a physical reaction because <laughs> it's it is like for me you know that 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 was that would be so bad and then it would yeah it would you'd often kind of gag on it and then maybe like start to like vomit <laughs> It's just like, it is, it is so uncomfortable. Oh my. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to say at that point, I was sort of worried, like, oh, is this a, is this what pulmonary edema feels like? Or is it, I, I it certainly was a, was, was a bit, was a bit um, concerned, but look at the same time, I, I, I I recognized that I was, you know, I was back in a tent. I was able to breathe. I wasn't, didn't feel like I was getting worse. I was able to, I was able to stay calm. I didn't feel like I, I didn't, there was a few, you know, I had a few, an understanding of a few of the pulmonary edema symptoms and, and I didn't feel like I was having those. So I just, um, I, I think I, you know, and obviously you don't have anybody you can really reach out to for, 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 for medical advice. So you're sort of trying to, I'm trying to sort of think about my own previous experiences and what I've, you know, there was, there was actually ironically a, another guy on our expedition who had had pulmonary edema before. Um, and I'd spent the last few weeks chatting with him about the, his experience. And so I think in some ways that gave me a bit of comfort when I was back in the tent that probably I just had a, probably I just was just had a very exhausted set of lungs that were, 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 uh, yeah, they, they had been highly stressed. And for those the listeners that are not familiar, pulmonary edema is a, a one of the one of the two main altitude illnesses, and it's essentially a, a leaking of the of the fluid of the plasma from the blood into the lungs, and your lungs sort of fill up with uh, plasma. And one of the uh, the the hallmark symptom is that you cannot catch your breath at rest you know if you if it's just altitude like normal high altitude you stop and you your breathing rate comes down when you have pulmonary edema that never happens because your your lungs capacity is getting lower less and less and less as the as the as the fluid kind of fills and i've, I've had it as well um it's very scary very uncomfortable um that's another story but so you you got down um you know, let's let's fast forward a little bit. You and and Martin uh, did were in the Karakoram at the same time, and unfortunately, I don't believe you you managed to meet there, especially since you uh, climbed Kitu after Martin had already headed out. Uh, and uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough season. There was a lot of snow. We're going to have some other podcasts about some of these other expeditions uh, that and what they experienced in terms of the weather and conditions this year. And, you know, 
how was the re-entry process and what went through your mind and what was your emotional journey like? So, so look, I think uh, I've I always tried to, to preserve that feeling of success being achieved until I'm back in base camp. And so I, I did really feel really when I got back into base camp, that was when it was quite a, quite an emotional return back to the base camp as well because I, I felt like I now I now genuinely am out of harm's way you know you can you can descend the abruzzi spur and and you know on your at the end completely distracted by your own success and and and, and you know potentially have, a, have an accident or or you know you're really not you, you've got nothing to celebrate I don't feel until you're back at base camp um so so then it all it all felt very real at that point and um obviously we wanted to wait until our other teammates were were down as well before um we could really really call it a success uh but that was uh yeah that was really something i mean i this to, to climb k2 was a was a, was an ultimate dream of mine and then to do it without oxygen which was really meaningful for me was uh was 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 beyond my my wildest dreams i mean i wouldn't have imagined this was something that I was capable of doing and, and really to be able to, to do it just gave me this very, yeah, very, very overwhelming sense of, uh, of achievement that, you know, it's a month, months gone by now. It's feel exactly the same. I I don't know if that'll change. Um, It's a feeling I've not, I've not had after climbing other mountains um, or or had, or other successes. well, it's a great feeling in that no one can ever take that away from you, right? Like you own that experience forever and you put in a lot of work to, you know, as as your coach, I can attest to that. And, you know, you can obviously attest to that personally since you actually did the work and, you know, you went up and climbed and it was all, it was a great, you know, I think that one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why we love mountaineering so much is because the, the climb itself is such a perfect sort of story like it's a classic it's a classic story right you have you know sort of the working in isolation day after day week after week month after month for you know an unknown sort of reward and you work really hard you put it all out there a lot is left up to chance there's a lot of risk there's a lot of danger there's a lot of other people and personalities and influences and you're literally living like a, a, a living in a novel almost like it feels like <laughs> and then you know you, you know the novel has a conclusion which is which is obviously coming home but i don't think it really ends there because you always carry that with you it truly becomes part of part of you and part of your story and part of how you know yourself and and i think that that's you know what part of what makes mountaineering such a beautiful thing yeah yeah no absolutely um yeah, it, was, it really felt like such a, a combination of puzzle pieces that all came together and then and then combined that with a lot of things that I couldn't control at all or went my way or went our way as well. And, and so f- certainly felt very fortunate. So, yeah, so coming coming down. So, I mean, leaving, leaving base camp, I, I really f- could feel then that my lungs were were had had were not what they what they normally would be and and even just the most mildest of uh 
sections of the trail that pitched uphill, I would lose my breath in, instantly. Um, and I was a lot of coughing and, and all of that sort of thing. So the, the three days hike uh, back out to Ascoli was, was for me, was much more challenging than the, than the seven days hiking up uh, to base camp. Um, uh, just obviously elated with the, the success and, and uh, the fact that I was, I was heading home and all of that, but um, certainly very, found, it, found it very challenging. I would have to, there were sections on, in the first day where I would, you know, I'd walk 10 meters and then I'd have to stop in a coughing fit and then another 10 meters and I'd be sipping water and all sorts of things, just trying to be able to keep it under control. But anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I, I don't think we should gloss over that because it speaks to how wrecked you are after these events. Like I, I remember, you know, just walking from, you know, Nanga Parbat base camp back down to the trailhead, which is literally like a three hour walk. <laughs> and it took us all day. And it was like, like walking up the final moraine that separates kind of the, you know, valley from the, you know, the roadhead. I mean, um, that was like, that was like its own summit. It felt like its own Nanga Parbat. Yeah. <laughs> it's only like, a, you know, 50 vertical meters, but you know, just exhausted. You're so depleted. It's really, it's, it's really kind of brings home, you know, when you experience that for me, it really brings home just how hard these things are on to do and how, how much it takes out of you and what it's actually like to be up there at that, you know, you, you know, if you could magically, you know, teleport yourself from a hundred meters below the summit and put yourself down on the trail to Ascoli, you would probably just feel just as bad, right? Like you're, that's, that's where you're operating from and you're operating at above 8,000 meters. So, you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's something to just gloss over. It's, it's, it's a real thing and you get home and, you know, you get to that thick air and you get to that nutritious food that tastes good again and you get to those beds and the showers and all of that thing and you just have this this deep deep fatigue that you can almost kind of you can finally let yourself sink into right that's right that's right and and uh i think yeah as i said earlier as well i i allowed myself to enjoy it the whole you know the the, the summit outcome at that point um Whereas I sort of hadn't prior to that, and and then as you said, just uh, we had a it was a very long, you know, it's a hundred it's a hundred kilometer hike back to Escoli, and it's not the you know it's not a trail, a well defined trail by any means. A lot of it is on that moraine, and it's the you know the tr- trails you, you you're constantly losing the trail. You find yourself slipping and sliding all over uneven. Uh, rocks and whatnot um the so it is it's a it is a challenging 100 kilometers certainly uh and then to do that in three days was uh was certainly certainly we all had to to dig quite deep for um but then getting down to escoli that's when yeah you know finally you can you're having i i, I just as a personal preference, I don't really have don't don't really have meat during when I'm at altitude, and and just although I love meat normally, I I just choose not to to, uh, to have that in when I'm sort of trying to acclimatize to to altitude. So really, back in Ascoli was where I first 
got back to having meat again and it was just it was just a, i mean I, look the food the food you have on on these expeditions is uh <laughs> you know it's 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 i i've I sympathized with the um with the with the task of trying to cater for people up there because every every piece of food has been has come in by donkey from Ascoli. Nothing's coming by helicopter. There's no private aviation that's bringing in, you know, anything like the the sort of uh, food you expect. You know, people now expect at, at, at Everest Base Camp. Uh, so it was it was good to be back having uh, uh, fresh fresh food, fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, those sort of things. Probably missed a lot. Um, so so getting back to those was was great. Um, and then really we made a. We were so keen to get to Skardu that we got a jeep that night. So we did that sort of uh, notorious or, or quite well-known drive between Ascoli and Skardu. We did that in the dark, uh, which has probably made it even more more uh, more confronting. Uh, uh, but then got back to a proper bed uh, in a in a hotel in Skardu. So that was that 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 felt felt. Uh, felt great because it sort of felt like okay at this point i'm not there's not going to be any more human powered uh you know movement it's uh yeah sure feels good to sit in a jeep after you've been on your leg on on two feet for a couple of months (laughs) certainly yeah 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 i can understand yeah that that is great well i think we're gonna wrap it up here for today and we're going to come back in another episode and talk about the training both in 2016 2017 when i helped you prepare for climbing everest as well as the specific training uh physically all the things we did in terms of your specific workouts and the the hypoxic uh, protocols we use that martin helped direct and all of that we'll get into that in a whole another episode so look for that everyone and thank you john thank you martin for your input and time today it's just not one but a community together we're a pal athlete